ready? So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. Once again, a massive thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me and the adventurous lifestyle. And thanks again to everyone for tuning into this podcast. So to say thanks, we're offering a 10% discount code. So next time you need any outdoor gear for your next adventure or any camping trip that you're going on, go to wildearth.com.au and put the discount code in Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. They ship internationally and have free shipping Australia-wide. So this episode is so interesting. I'm here in Iceland and I meet Yannick, one of those guys who is just kind of from everywhere. With mainly a German background, he is such an interesting guy, a guy that lives for adventure. And we were camped out together in Iceland and we were just sitting there talking and he started telling me he was a safari walking guide in Africa where he takes people walking through the bush past herds of lions and elephants and well, just everything that you would encounter in that, that wild environment. And I was so interested that I was like, hold on a second, we have to record this. And I'm so glad I did because just, wow, enjoy. Okay, now it's recording. We've just been having this amazing conversation for like 20 minutes. And I never pressed record. Well, the, I was just doing the sound test and we just started talking. And yeah. Fuck, we're just in this amazing conversation. About being in Iceland. Fuck, I w- wish I could go re-record that. <laughs> well, we can, we can at least pick up where we left off. We were, so, we were talking about how Iceland is extremely harsh, and that's part of what makes it so fucking amazing and beautiful. And we're kind of talking about how things line up here with that environment. You know, how if somehow you can have the worst day. So I, perfect example for me, honestly, is this trip. I've been here for about three weeks now. Uh, when I get here the first week, almost completely rained out the entire time. When I was expecting winter wonderland, and it's three degrees Celsius and just pouring rain. On top of that, we get these crazy gusts of wind that we've been talking about. They've been shaking our vans, like from, from Cuckoo Campers, who are hooking us up. Uh, just like crazy and... Just everything's going to crap, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be one of these trips in Iceland. And so, then... Because you've been here a few times. Yeah, this is my my sixth or seventh trip, I forget now, over a span of 10-ish years. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so continue. And, um, yeah, so I'm thinking, God, okay, here goes another trip where it's just, you know, embrace the suck and, you know, maybe get a few nice photos out of it. And next thing I know, I go up north, link up with uh, some of the surfers up there. Well, one of the surfers in particular, uh, Oliver. Yeah. And if you, have you met him? Yeah, I've met Oliver. Okay, cool. Yeah, how cool is he? Yeah, man? I think, fuck, there's some cool dudes here. They're, they're, really? There's 25 surfers in this country. And, and they're, they're all, all legends. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Fucking legends. Yeah, shout out to them. Fuck Hell it. yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that's what you get, though, when you get the first generation of surfers somewhere. And that's what these guys you are. They're freaking froth. They're pioneers, man. These guys... Well, they've found all the waves and named them all. And this is what people don't know. Well, the thing is, you can't just come here and get waves. 
No. It just Oh no, no, no. We're just we're just talking about that the weather systems here are so harsh yeah. and so crazy and so wild that you need to know how to read that and to be able to get those beautiful moments in Iceland where everything lines up. There has to be like, like you almost have to earn it in yeah. a way. Or you could just get extremely lucky like we have been in the last few days. Yeah. I mean this is what I'm saying. I start this trip for me started off absolute crap. And then it kind of just started snowballing from great times up north. Uh, I got that great session with Oliver. Yeah. Uh, I also do a lot of wildlife photography, so I got a few nice Arctic fox portraits, which is always a bonus. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. With the fluff, with the fur? Okay, so they. I was really hoping for the white winter coat, but I yeah. think since it's been warm, they've already lost it. So there was, there was still like tufts of white in there, yeah. but it's mainly of uh, one of them more like a chocolate brown. Yeah kind of thing still really cute though they're, so these are foxes that they lose their coat in the summer yeah and they're, they, they're these Icelandic foxes yeah so they they adapt they're, they're I think if I'm not mistaken they're the largest terrestrial carnivore uh, here in here in Iceland and they're really well adapted to it like they, they their thing is camouflage yeah so in the winter completely white you, you could look out over a field of snow and not see a fox running at full tilt. Yeah. And in the in the summer, they get these brownish colors, like a lot of these rocks or the turf or the moss around here. And it's like, they just disappear in the landscape. Oh, man. Uh, they're great. <laughs> this place is just so fucking beautiful. Actually, I, I'm going to retell you my story mm. just of when I landed here, because that has to be told. Oh, dude, yeah, but yeah. But now yeah, I can yeah. elaborate on that just with that beauty, because... Well, that, that links into what we were just talking about with things well, lining up. Well, I just, I met these Icelandic guys four years ago in Indonesia in Western Bar. Yeah. I, I used to live in Western Bar and then these guys came doing a surf trip and I just met them all and just broke down with them. The thing is, these guys are just like real dudes. Yeah. And everyone here is so talented. That's what blows me out about Icelandic people. Such a small population and they are talented. The music here is amazing. Oh, yeah. Fuck, it blew me out. So I got, I got, I was telling you, I got the, 12 o'clock flight from New York, midnight. Mm-hmm. No, the 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock fl- flight that landed at like midnight or 1 a.m. here. I mean, New York time here, but it was 6 a.m. here? I yeah, think it was. Yeah, yeah. 6, 6 a.m. Yeah. And then I walked out and it was like the craziest wind <laughs> I've ever fucking seen. And it was it said minus one, but I'd just been in Montreal before New York, and it, which was minus 20. It was colder here yeah. with that wind. And... Because one of the guys we met owned Cuckoo Campers that we met in Western Bar years ago. He owns Cuckoo Campers in Iceland. So yes, I'd already come to, yeah. And so he's hooked both of us up with these amazing camper vans, these four-wheel drive high aces. They're amazing. They fucking go anywhere, and you need a four-wheel drive for Iceland. Especially in the winter. Like, if you're really going to trek this place. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I flew in, and I had to go pick up this van um, from the airport, from the rental pickup. And... Haydar said to me, like one of the local surfers, he said to me, like, as soon as I get here, go to the right, buy a SIM card and give him a text. Yeah. So I've given him a text. I've walked out to this car, but like, I was like literally like pushed against the wind trying to stand up, like just trying to keep, and as soon as I got to the car, I opened the door and it was like literally flung open. It was all my strength trying to hold it and trying to shut it. 
And I was like, holy shit. And Hader calls me straight away as soon as I get in the car. And he's like, brother, <laughs> surf's pumping, we're going. And I'm thinking, it's seven in the morning by this stage. It's pitch black. doesn't look like the sun's <laughs> anywhere. How could you ever surf and win like this? And that's the thing. He knew that beautiful window was going to open. Oh, yeah. Somewhere he's like, where? You know, he just knew that there was this small gap of window window where that wind was going to stop and the surf was going to turn on yep. and it was going to come again. And that was the thing. And so as soon as he picked me up, bang, we went, went picked a couple of the other boys up and we went and we scored pumping waves. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and then straight from there, I was like the next run, we went straight to the North Coast, yeah. scored pumping waves. That was the most beautiful place I've ever seen. I was telling you that I That's thought I was going to cry in the water. That's had a crazy drive up to, right? Where you got to fucking go through snow drifts. And... <laughs> um, before when I was telling you, I, probably, I was thinking it probably wasn't recorded for a reason because Haydar probably doesn't want anyone to know that he fucking... <laughs> he nearly crashed the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. The dude nearly oh, crashed man. the car. He was drifting. He, he drifted around a corner. And I was like, oh, you fuck, you're really good at driving the snow. I stroked his ego. And so then he drifted around the next corner and nearly lost it. And we nearly ran into a pole. <laughs> Ended up running into a pile of snow instead. Oh, oh lucky man. break. <laughs> yeah. But it's just this place. It's like the the locals and the surfers here, they, to be able to, they've got to have so much passion. Oh, yeah. And so much love for it. And that's what you're saying, first generation of surfers. That's why they're such nice guys and why they're such frothers is because to get waves here, it's like there's so much work that has to go into it. Absolutely. And like with anything in Iceland, it's like the weather just turns like that. Yeah. What do they say? Well, (laughs) they say you got to just wait 10 minutes to see what happens in Iceland if you don't like it. Yeah. If you don't like the weather in Iceland, wait 10 minutes. That's right. It'll get crazier. No, but it's, you know, those guys, they also call this place the land of fire and ice. And those guys definitely got a fucking raging fire inside of them going out there every time. Yeah. They're just so pumped. I mean, including you, you and, and, and all of them have spent most of the last three days I've been photographing you. At least six hours in the water per day. Oh, man. And this water is not warm. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, up. That was the thing up, up the north. The the water was like zero to four degrees and it's like Ooh. minus ten outside, you know, snowing and it's um and just the actual sheer power that we're talking about how this place is so harsh. Iceland's so harsh, the volcanic um lava fields everywhere, the the rugged mountainous, there's no trees, it's barren. Oh yeah. The wind just cuts through here. It's cuts like everything, yeah. Any yeah. any normal day in Iceland would be a cyclone category five in australia you know it'd be like oh bad and yeah, yeah people in back in the u.s where i would be would not know how to deal with it <laughs> yeah well it blows cars off the road i was yeah. in, i was sleeping in the van i thought the van was gonna blow blow oh, off the yeah. road and then i said that as a joke to the boys <laughs> the next day and they're like oh no that happens you should actually we, you got to park behind something yeah i was like what's that's an actual thing oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh man but you see the weather it just it doesn't yesterday we're up in um Stanisford? Uh, Snaifulness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the names you get. Oh, dude, Robinson. trust me, even for me, they're still fucking hard, and yeah. I've got German on my side. Oh, man. Up in Snaifulness, um, it was snowing so hard, crazy wind, and we're standing in, like, knee-deep snow. 
in, on one side of these mountains. And we drove around the corner, literally 10-minute drive. And it was like around the end of this mountain. And Just over the mountain, yeah. Clear, crystal clear sky, sunny as hell. No snow. No snow at all. <laughs> like the photos that we got from that day, like, oh, my God, it looks like summertime anywhere in the world, oh, yeah. you know? And I was like, I just took it literally 20 minutes ago. I just took a video where I'm in this blizzard. <laughs> I'm just like, are you kidding me? No, I, I saw that. I actually, until you told me it was 20 minutes apart, I thought you had driven me like from the way north all the way down to where we are now. Oh, man. When you filmed that. Yeah, that <laughs> like, was insane. <laughs> Oh, so we're in Iceland. We're, we're we're actually sitting here waiting. We've just we've got some glimpses of the, of the northern lights in the sky, and we're sitting here because we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do a funny photo with them. And we've got it all lined up. We're just waiting for the for the show to come on, and we're we're in a little secret spot, and it's like beautiful. We've been been surfing all day. You've been taking photos, freezing your ass off on the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been getting great shots though. Yeah, great waves, great. Barreled up, getting some sick turns, and you and the, some of the other guys turned the spot into a little air show earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it was just, yeah, it's fun. And right now, today, actually, like the water for Iceland is us. Today, it was a lot warmer. It's like, oh yeah, that's the thing here. Once your core temperature drops in those suits, like it's like you're fine for a while, and then once it drops, it goes. So you got like fifteen, twenty minutes. Your yeah. fingers go, your hands go. But I wasn't getting a brain freeze on every duck dive. Okay. Like normally it's like I get like two duck dives at most and then I'm like the water's too cold. It's brain freeze. I've got to like let the rest hit me on the head. Yeah, yeah. Which is hard here in Iceland because back to what I was saying before about the harshness, it's like the ocean actually has so much power here. Oh, yeah. People don't expect the waves, but we you get pretty much some swells that just hit nothing until they hit Iceland. Yeah, they the waves here are powerful. And oh, it's yeah. because it's so cold, this is what I found. I had a scary situation up north. Because that, yeah, that was zero Speaking to 40 degrees. Cold, I'm going to grab this blanket real oh, quick. I can turn the heater on. You sure? Yeah. Oh, yeah? All right. But zero to 40 degrees, water temperature minus 10 outside. And, oh, man, it was so funny. I was crawling across the snow to try to get down to the point. <laughs> and I was like, I kept falling in holes. I oh, the boys man. just, like, run down. They know how to, like, and I go, I go to run after them. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's pumping. Let's go. <laughs> First step I take off the road, I fall waist deep <laughs> in snow. And I'm, like, watching the boys. So I climb out of that. I'm like, yeah, go to take another step. Fall down to my chest. Oh, no. In this snow hole. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> So now my, my leg rope's still connected because you, you have to put your, your leg rope on before your gloves mm-hmm. because once you put the mitts on, the surfing mitts, you can't do use your hands. No, not at all. <laughs> so so I've, my leg rope's down, connected to my foot down in the hole. The surfboard's quite close to me. So I use the surfboard to climb out of the hole <laughs> and then I'm like I using it to it. like to like army crawl across the top <laughs> of the snow to get down to the rocks because... <laughs> Oh man. oh man i was like this is just such a different environment man three tourists a day go missing here a thousand a year Seriously? search and rescue team. this is the Damn, thing okay I know that iceland warning because yeah. the weather does change here so quick you could yeah. be a nice sunny day you could go for a little hike somewhere think you've got enough um, battery on your phone or like <laughs> you've known the way that you've walked next enough thing battery. the weather comes in the weather comes in and it just starts snowing or blizzard and it takes away the visibility. Straight away, you can't see. It's all foggy. Oh, yeah. And next thing, 
Your you know, battery's dead because it's <laughs> yeah. too cold. Yeah, because it's too... Yeah. Yeah, and it was at 50% and all of a sudden, gone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, and people... Yeah, people can't find their way out. They're getting saved all the time. This is what I find crazy. So, I'm, I'm planning this trip up north yeah. to walk across the mountain range by myself and camp in the snow. Did I tell you about that? No, shit, sure, you didn't. I'm, I'm okay. already borrowing everything I've hated. I'm wearing his socks right now. <laughs> I was going to say, you got the good Icelandic wool socks. Yeah, because the Icelandic dude, I got it out of his sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, this is his jacket here. Man, that's what I mean. Icelandic dudes just hook you up. They really do. They're hooking us up with these cuckoo campers. Fuck, man. Thank you, everyone here, just for being yeah. such amazing people. Thank you, seriously. Yeah. So... Wait, where were we? You were, you were saying you were going to hike up a, across uh, a, a mountain? Okay, so up north? Yeah, we're planning this trip. We've got to talk to the search and rescue guys and um, there's some friends up north that are going to try help me plan this route through the mountains. Okay. So I'm just going to try walk from one town to another. Um, are you up in the up in the West Fjords, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, up in the West Fjords. So now I'm thinking after yesterday in Starflessness that I could even do it there. That would probably be... Okay, I was just, just closer I was say, to safety. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, one, it's closer to safety. You, the mountain there is still pretty hardcore, mm. depending on where you cross. And then you might get that whole blizzard to sun effect going as well. Mm. Yeah, if, Although, if, I, if it's too cold. Well, you gotta you got to camp on the leeward side, like out of the wind, but that wind can just change. Yeah, that's true. And you have to like kind of dig a hole in the snow and camp in it. I still, like, it's in the planning prep but i'm like really excited for it but there's so much like safety that has to go and involved yeah i mean because it's it's a to anyone out there who's thinking about doing that kind of stuff as yeah, an adventurer do <laughs> yeah don't put yourself in a situation where you're gonna make other people's lives uh, you're gonna put all other people's lives at risk yeah exactly. trying to save you you know exactly so that's why it's got to be it's got to be a route that's hard enough that's a challenge yeah but then easy enough or well, not e- but that it has to be hard enough that it's a challenge and crazy enough that it's like fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time it has to be there's a few elements that have to be like just practical so yeah, got to try and be proper planning right? yeah proper planning so places where we know if phone reception is going to be yeah. checkpoints and work out like what my distance is going to be every day and give checkpoints and somewhere where I can check in with yeah, the exactly. safety authorities checking in with them super yeah. important and even more even thinking there was a mountain range that was closer to like a road or something so it would be like only a few hours hike down or something mm. if shit really went down or something yeah yeah you know like I mean the, hell you never know but worst case scenario you break a leg or something and you can't move you gotta be able to like, yeah. do something you know and the, the biggest, I mean that's not saying that I wish nah, that on you I'm just saying for anybody listening well <laughs> the biggest thing is core temp yeah it's like once you oh, core here, temp you got yeah. temp 10-15 minutes until you hit hypothermia and, and I've had and we were just saying there's there's no trees here and what are you going to make a fire with exactly that's the thing. and the water's frozen and the water's frozen N- and that's why I was thinking stiflessness because I saw heaps of flowing water through the ice and under the ice where I can dig down and get water yeah where up in the north dehydration, which is frozen frozen people don't think but in cold climates dehydration can be much more of a danger than in warm yeah. hot climates plus <clears> also eating the snow to try to hydrate is going to drop you your oh, core temp. Core temp. It's like it should yeah. be if you're gonna do it, full on last resort. Yeah. Think about this when you go out to take a photo or whatever when you're up in these places, it's mm-hmm. like you're outside for ten, fifteen minutes, you got all the gear on, yeah. Then you get too cold, you want to jump back in the car. So I'm talking like three days out in there. So it's like one mm-hmm. gear has to be good. Gear I need to keep good, myself yeah. moving so the blood's flowing. 
I can't move too much because I can't sweat. Yeah. Because then once you get all that moisture on your body and everything, and then in the cold. But this is all a learning curve for me. So this is the the planning station that we're in. Yeah, so yeah I like it. I'm trying to... I'm hoping we do it. The thing is, I had... Which is episode four of Diaries of the Wild Ones is part of that um, that podcast episode is mm-hmm. me in hospital in Korea. It's a fucking hilarious story, actually. In hospital in Korea with hypothermia, stage five, five hypothermia with my oh, body shit. shutting down. Uh, I'll have to check that out. So I, I kind of know what it's... I know the scariness in this, the, when your body does go. Oh, into, yeah. Hy- hypothermia is no It's not joke. something to fuck with. No, no. So, but you still have all your fingers, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I still have all my fingers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just excited. What, you want to know the thing that I'm most excited for? What's that? To put the spikes on my boots. Oh, uh, <laughs> so that, can, that crampon feeling. Yeah, so I can hike over that ice. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I'm just like, and I have the pickaxe. Oh, yeah, man, yeah. I'm so excited for that. Just like pickaxing <laughs> through, hiking through shit. Nice, man. <laughs> well, it's just like, yeah. But that's, dude, the things that, that's the things you got to live in your life every now and then, right? Yeah. I mean, whether it's climbing mountain. My mother's a big, uh, she, she's just got into mountaineering after she retired. And uh, she actually just hiked the the Annapurna Pass in Nepal about, oh. uh, what was it, a year or two ago. And she's planning to hike to Everest Base Camp big within up, the next few what years. What a legend. Oh, yeah, she's a full-on legend. What a legend. Dude, you yourself, <laughs> you were just telling me before, this is the reason why I pulled out this gear. You just showed me these videos. Yep. I'm just... That legend thing just reminded me. We're sitting here waiting for the Aurora Borealis to really put on a show. And mm-hmm. you're telling me about that you're a guide in Africa. And then you start showing me all these videos. So I didn't let you actually explain to me what you showed me. It was completely fucking insane. <laughs> so, so how were you... Go- I don't even understand this whole guide thing. Like, how did you become a guide? Like, how did you- What's this right. program? So, just uh, some context. So, I'm a mainly... <clears throat> excuse me. Mainly a wildlife uh, travel and surf photographer. Uh, started mainly doing surf photography, just teaching myself photography and that kind of thing. And then, my, my family's always been traveling to crazy places <laughs> like you just heard my mom goes hiking crazy mountains and shit like that yeah um so i could, that's how i kind of got into travel and then eventually that turned into a wildlife specifically and i kind of started kind of yeah. early on i knew that i wanted to forge my life around being with like in wild areas wild places and Places like Iceland, meeting people like you, yeah, or or being in Africa, meeting uh, having a few young elephants, yeah. like three meters, like I just showed you on the video, um, and just kind of like start over a few years, like it's kind of forged, and I found photography would be my vehicle for that, and at that point, I was basically working odd jobs every. You know, working my ass off, saving up, and then maybe if I hadn't made enough money, uh, going on one trip for, you know, three weeks to get, you know, to Botswana, to South Africa, to uh, Mozambique recently as well, uh, to, to get these, these shots. But it was really like, you know, two, three weeks out of the year at most. So I was trying to think about a way to be out there more, longer at less cost because I mean it, it is expensive between the flight and accommodation and all that to, to yeah. be out there 
And then, of all places, I was <clears throat> even further up in the Arctic, in Svalbard. And I meet the South African couple that told me about this company called Ecotraining. And they do... Uh, there's, there's them, and there's a few more. There's one called Bushwise. Uh, I mean, all mainly, main, mainly in, based in South Africa. And uh, what they do is they, they're like little... They, they do their training schools for guides, basically. And they teach you, uh, you know, from the, the A of, to the Zs of, the, of being in the bush. Uh, but not even just that. I mean, being a guide is obviously, I don't know the environment, you know, the animals, the behavior, how everything kind of fits together. And um, just, uh, but it's not just that, it's just, it's hosting the guests, it's making sure the people that are with you are, you know, as excited about what they're seeing as as you are when you see it. Yeah. And, and teaching them a little bit about it too. And, you know, there's a message of conservation and all that as well. And... Yeah, I just went down. I was with Eco Training and did uh, their year-long program, which includes a six-month just internship. So you're out there for a year. Yeah, full year. I kind of just packed everything up and said, "Let's do this." Just, yeah, and it's we're literally in little camping tents. <clears throat> Excuse me, literally in little camping tents in big five areas, um, you know, in the bush. So. In Africa. In Africa. I mean, I've had, I've had lions walk through camp, hyenas, elephants. I've, on one night in Botswana, this was uh, the year when I was training, towards my, the end of my training, and this was something that I freaking, I it was so surreal that I thought I dreamt it. I I like to sleep with the tent flaps open because it was just crazy hot up there. Like we're talking. Yeah. 40 plus degrees in the shade during the day and then maybe a few degrees less during the night and so you're just trying to get you know as cold as possible so 10 flaps open so it's literally i'm literally yeah. just sleeping in the bush with just a mosquito mesh around me more or less yeah with yeah, a little yeah yeah more or less rigid frame and i wake up and i look up and then there's just something looking at me <gasps> just Really, literally, maybe you know, half a meter away, our faces. I turn, keep looking, and my eyes start adjusting a little bit to the dark, and it's the fucking leopard looking at me through, <gasps> the, Fuck. through oh. the bush, and just through a mosquito net, through a mosquito net. Yeah, and we we kind of frozen like that for. I mean, hell, it, it could have been five seconds, like it could have been twenty minutes, but it felt like an eternity, and. And then he just moved on, and I went back to sleep. And this is did, how. Did you just feel something was looking at you? I don't know how long just, it was looking at you. I don't know, but up. I just woke up. I, well, you hear uh, yeah. you, you're, when you're in the bush. You, they say you get your bush ears. Yeah, yeah, your senses and, really and like get hardened. Every, every you, if you hear a little crack of leaves, like you, it, you just pay attention to it. Yeah. And I, I think that's what woke me up. But I thought I dreamt it. So the next morning, I'm just walking to the the main area where we just go for breakfast. And like nothing happened, and I see a few of the other people in camp just white as sheets, hadn't slept a wink. And I'm like, "What's going on? What do you mean? What's going on? You didn't see the leopard going through camp?" I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> huh. oh, so that did happen? So okay. that did happen? I didn't dream that. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, was it a black one? 
No, no, just uh, like a full-on African leopard with the, you know, the yellow yeah. with the black spots, is it the, rosettes. Is it the lynx or the puma? What's when it's just full-on black? Well, leopards can be full-on yeah, black. Yeah, they can be full-on black. It's um, it's when they call it a, uh, they call it menalistic. So it's, it's similar to, excuse me, <coughs> throat getting dry. <laughs> Have a sip of your gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's um, it's similar to like uh, uh, albinism, like being an albino yeah. and things like that. Just the opposite. You lose a pigment um, yeah. called menelin, and basically that just makes it. They're not fully black. It's more like a, how do you describe it? It's like a, a really dark brown. Yeah. And then you can, when you close, you can actually see that they still have those black spots in oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously, but most of the big cats, uh, apart from lions, as far as I know, um, but like those solitary bear cats, so jaguar, uh, I think puma, like mountain lions as well, if I'm not mistaken, but it's more rare, but yeah. mainly, uh, puma, jaguars and, and, and leopards get the, you know, the, the black panther look, yeah, 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 if you yeah. will. The, the black <laughs> the cool cat <laughs> right and yeah it, it actually in in most cases uh especially for jaguars in the rainforest it actually makes it helps them their camouflage a lot more because they just you know under the canopy it's freaking just gonna turn that heater off if, yeah, yeah if, any, if anyone can hear anything in the background it's just these uh oil heaters that they have in iceland that i had no idea which are brilliant <laughs> yeah i had no idea it was even an invention so basically, these heaters are set up to your car that work off the fuel tanks. And it's just, it uses hardly any fuel and it just oh, yeah. heats the car. It's I mean, we're, we're it's so hot. I have to have it on half. Like, yeah, even yeah. when I was up north, it's just, it's just too hot to sleep in. Yeah, I mean, people can't see this, but we're sitting in a van with barely any insulation, I would say. In our, in our I mean, let's say, I mean, we've got some insulation, but a lot of windows. That's. Yeah, and we're just you know chill. We're not even wearing our jackets. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's literally snowing outside. <laughs> it is actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you're living in this camp. So you've done your year training. Yep. And then so, so then I took uh, another probably around about ten months to get the photography side of things back in order and my life outside of the bush. Yes. Yeah. It, it can be it's a that's the balancing act i've been doing for the last few years so yeah 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 last yeah. uh three years since i trained and kind of figuring out a good flow between being out there because i mean when i'm out there i'm completely disconnected i've yeah I, if i'm lucky i get maybe one little bar of signal on my phone <laughs> yeah so what what's a day today like like so you're out there and so Living when in this tent and you're learning to be a guide or you be you become a guide yeah so what's, you basically i mean you go to sleep more and you wake up with the sun more or less so it's yeah. wake up usually actually for the guides a little earlier uh, it'll also depend if we're like in in camp with let's say other students that are training as well or if we actually have uh guests or like tourists that we're actually guiding which both would happen at the camp and um but mainly you wake up uh five five thirty in the morning uh the first responsibility is boiling water for breakfast getting breakfast set up 
Nah. Are you always on alert? Like as soon as you wake up, first to wake up, are you checking the scene or do you ever have someone on watch? Or are you just... Oh, no, when... You kind when of feel safe up. that animals know that they're, you, as in other animals, are there and they kind of just leave well, you alone? Well, I mean, you... Um, it goes back to the, the bush ears things I was talking about. Like, yeah. Uh, you... You're alert to what's around you. So you don't wake up and just, like, you know, sleepwalk to the bathroom, which is... Did you sleep 50. with a gun? No. No, no, no. The gun stayed... So we do carry a rifle when... Uh, when we do walking safaris, but uh, they get they're locked in a safe, and the only time they come out of the safe is right before the walk, and then they go right back in the safe uh, after the walk. Oh fuck! I'll be because sad. I mean, as guides, uh, the last thing we want to do is have to shoot, because yeah. that basically means that either we put ourselves or our guests in a situation where we weren't in control, yeah. or we couldn't predict the outcome. Or we didn't brief somebody properly and they acted in a way that's not appropriate and put people in danger. Oh, and shit. I'm going to have to get you to explain every one of them. What? Okay. <laughs> wait. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. <'cause I'm> like, <laughs> so the first one. Yeah. How, what would the protocol be if, with, when the panther was in there? Like you wake up and say like that panther actually tried to attack someone or actually got really aggressive. Then what's the protocol there? Like, does someone Honestly, try and run to unlock a gun case, or like? Um, I mean, if it gets to the point where there's an actual attack, like the the leopard is actively attacking one of the guests, yeah, that would probably be the point when you go and get the rifle. But honestly, it the my first reflex wouldn't be that you'd have to go in. Like, you don't really have time to run somewhere, get the rifle, and come back. That's why, as guides, we, the main training we get is learning to read a situation, especially reading the animals like from animals their behavior, behavior. Yeah, right. and and kind of working ourselves into the situation where we can view them without disturbing them, and ideally, we can view them without them knowing we're there. So that's that's where everything goes right. If we could see something up close or, or close enough that, you know that it's safe but still pretty thrilling and the animal doesn't know we're there and then we leave without it knowing that that's perfect and then worst case scenario let's say the situation we're talking about someone gets attacked someone gets mauled first as a guy that means full-on you just fucked up you did something you went you pushed the boundaries you got too close you did something whatever and that would be a situation where you'd probably you have to shoot and in most situations where that would arise, they would probably be in like a walking safari. So there'd be two guides. So there's the lead guide and the backup guide and both carry rifles. So if basically one fucks up, the other can cover yeah, and or get the people to safety and that kind of thing. But yeah, like I said, the last thing you want to do as a guide is actually shoot, shoot one of these animals that you care about. Because, I mean, for one, think about what it would do to your psyche. Yeah. And for two, the chances of you actually getting another job in the guiding industry is gonna be tough. Yeah, because it's it's you know really tight knit community, a bit like the surfing community in ways where, you know, either you know someone that knows someone that knows someone, and and yeah. you know there's there's that connection there. It's pretty tight knit. So it's, and then you don't want to be you know you don't want to be a Fred. You don't want to be. Oh, that's just the, the name we say. 
when we talk about this stuff in, in South Africa, it's like, you don't want to be Fred who shot a rhino. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... You don't want to be that guy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that guy. Damn it. I'm that guy. No, so, so, like, how do they teach you to read an animal? Like, is that, like, when you see those... That guy, you know, that guy that goes up and hangs with the lions, and mm-hmm. you see him when the lions. Oh, Kevin get, Richardson, yeah, 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 and he gets like he gets his hand out, and he kind of being assertive. Mm-hmm. So, you, is that is that the whole thing showing who's boss in a way, like as in not well, showing fear? In in a way, yes. So, well, with Kevin Richardson, it's it's very different because he's dealing with uh, a lion sanctuary with lions that um, lions that he brought up himself. So this, in a way, they yeah. recognize. Yeah, yeah. Go I'm for the eat chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, they recognize him as part of their pride, and he's he's their alpha in that sense because he's the he, yeah, he's the guy that he's their father in a way, like the not in a biological sense, but in a you know fraternal sense in a way, yeah. and then they recognize that and respect that. He shows that, but role. I mean, what they they do show it but not so much is that he does get you know he plays with them but he gets he gets clawed up and, and chewed on and a little bit and things like that I it's just, just realized these lollies are crunchy oh. these chocolate <laughs> yeah that's probably not the best for the mic is it yeah, yeah. <laughs> crunch okay. crunch okay that's what we'll I, that's for later. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to eat one now <laughs> no continue but um, yeah so the main thing is observation we were out there uh, at, at least six hours per day. We're out of the camp looking for animals, observing them, and learning things about them. The money... So I think just sometimes you have people that look at things as negative, right? Look at that. So I just want to kind of squash that. So this whole... Everything that is set up there, this guiding, this tourism industry, mm-hmm. the money goes... These are all people that care about the animals and want the best for the animals. And like you are saying before, the money gets funded, buys old farms, it, it opens up the national parks, it makes it bigger. Mm. Um, <coughs> Damn, that chocolate just yeah. <laughs> down the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, basically, there's, there's a big message of conservation. And the main thing that these uh, guides training schools want to accomplish if anything, is literally just to inspire people to care about wilderness. Um, you know, you get all sorts of people going through that kind of program. Yeah. Most people, uh, I mean, I won't say most people. There's some people who will do it as, you know, a career choice. This is what I want to do. I want to be a guide. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, you also get some people who treat it as a bit of a extended holiday, yeah. gap year, that kind of thing, you know? I, I, ju- I just want to... all right, too, but, you know, it's... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I've got to clear that through. <laughs> no, no I just wanted to squash that, like, you know, when you always have that person, someone that might be a little bit naive with these kind of things, just say, like, oh, well, you're going to these animals' environment and disturbing them and have to carry a gun just in case something happens and you might yep. end up shooting one. And it's like... There's more pros. Okay, this is a byproduct. This is a way to we're animals and like we're interacting with these other animals and and seeing that and we want to be a, be able to observe nature as well. Yep. You know, as well, an animal, and, and but at the, at the same it, time, yeah. because of how the system is set up, it's creating um, an income and a money and an economy to be able to actually help save that. So I just wanted to no, really absolutely. really point out that 
this whole guiding thing is actually such a positive thing for these animals and for that natural environment. Yeah, I mean, in the end, we're, we're, they, they, what we're literally trying to accomplish as guides is just to show people wilderness and get them inspired and for it. And, yeah. I mean, not to take it to a negative term, but in many ways we're living in a time where there is mass, mass extinction going on, which is man-made. Yeah. And you know, the, a lot of uh, a lot of scientists have started calling our era the new the new uh, geological era of the of the humans, which is basically marked by the just uh, the the I think it's the sixth mass extinction, which the fifth one would have been the dinosaurs. Oh my god! But that's why people going out and and people you know even whether it's guiding, whether it's you know just even surfing you know there's a, a big natural element to surfing as well you get connected to the ocean the, the weather patterns around you and all that if you care about that and you don't want it to change for the worst you know that's that's the kind of thing you just got to inspire people yeah yeah exactly it's beautiful i really like how you just said that <laughs> i appreciate that man <laughs> no i am um, okay so you're you're there learning how to interact with these animals yeah so on a daily basis how often like so how would you approach an animal so like let's so you're walking along you're doing a guided tour yep and so you're, you're guiding a couple of tourists and so you're providing with information like how, how does it, this work so, like how do you yeah so it's uh, everybody's got their own little style of guiding um the main factors is you've got uh, I'd say I'd, I'd narrow it down to three factors you've got a host so they're, they are your guests and they have to feel that way uh, you've got to educate them it would, it'd be nice if they walk away learning something even if it's just one of you know a fun fact they pull out at a dinner conversation and what I say host educate and entertain they have to have a good time yeah and then, depending on the guide, they'll lean more towards one or the other. I tend, I, I tend to feel that more on the, the hosting and educating side of things. I can be a little dry sometimes in my guiding. I, I can tell that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you pull some jokes every now and then. Like, you know, you get the rifle butt and you make like a, almost like a hoof print in the sand. And you're like, oh, what do you think this track is? <laughs> 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 that's your go-to guide joke <laughs> I mean it's just such an easy one because everybody yeah. just starts puzzling over it because ant- uh, most antelopes in Africa have those cloven hooves yeah and uh, it's one of those first things like tracking is part of the skills that we, we get taught and interpreting those tracks and learning you know how fast they're going which way what animal it is obviously by how that. fast is that by the stride like the distance between each step yeah and then you know depending on the the substrate the soil how deep the step is and things like that right yeah, yeah. or uh, specifically especially with elephants and lions you can see um, if uh, the back leg steps over the front leg or not that'll tell you a bit more about their speed whether they're going you know at a relaxed speed or kind of yeah. gunning it yeah right. Yeah yeah. Okay, so you you, you t- take them out in the morning. So you just are you tracking, or you kind of have certain areas where you know where animals are, or? So if we're doing a walk, we have a few walks that like most of the time you want to do a walk that you've done at least once or twice before, so you know the environment. You're not going to get lost, right? Yeah. And you 
more or less know what to expect in terms of animals. So you kind of get out of camp, you get a bit of woodland, then you open up into maybe a floodplain with a little forest behind it, kind of go through a few different biomes so they get to see a bit of different different vegetation, maybe different animals obviously that live there as well. And, uh, and yeah, and you kind of see what you see along the way. And the entire time, both the lead guide and the backup guide, because you pretty much never go out alone. You always want to have a backup plan on a backup plan. Yeah. And, yeah, you, you, you know, either, usually, it depends on how the teams work out, but uh, what usually happens is that the, the lead guide will choose the route, so he'll go choose where to go, and he'll look out in front for the you know what's coming up and then the backup guide does the same but scans a little bit further and you gotta pause there you good <laughs> uh scans a little bit further and uh looks a little bit more tracks and things like that and uh he's also his main responsibility as a backup guide you kind of learn to look back every few steps making sure that all the guests are still behind you and no one's lagging behind and that kind of thing dlc so we got where the way we walk is the two guides in front yeah and then the guests in the back are you ever checking to see if you're being tracked by other animals uh, i don't i think i've i don't think i've ever been in that situation but uh could be i've actually i've been no that's oh dude you just reminded me yeah i've been uh Okay, so this was actually before I was a guide on one of my first walking safaris as a guest in Botswana. Let me take a quick sip. It's getting dry too. Do you want another one? Mm. I'll mix you up a mix you up a gin and tonic. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was with my mother. She is the she really is the one that got me into uh, into the the African wilderness because she took me on my first safari out there. And we're doing this walking safari, and the guide keeps pausing. And eventually, I mean, at this point, I was c- completely clueless about the bush. Like, I'm just walking along, you know, just chilling. And this guy, the, the, the lead guide keeps pausing, and it's just, I'm thinking, okay. And eventually, he stops us, and he's like, okay, so, I don't know if you heard, but we're basically between two lion prides that are roaring at each other. And we're trying to figure, navigate a way through it without, you know, getting caught in the middle. <laughs> because, you know, when those two prides, obviously both of the prides were on high alert because if, if we were to encounter any of the, either of those two groups, you know, this was one of the cases where we know where the animals are that you want to see, but we're definitely not going to see them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. So, being a guide, how often do you come across scary situations? Like, so, is, do, do you normally just get in the vicinity of a herd and then, like, just just look from a distance? Or, like, do you sometimes suddenly get startled, you know, like, maybe come through a bush line or something? Or Yeah, know? I mean, one of the things you expect is the unexpected out there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, on a day-to-day, you know, you, you'll either drive or walk up to if we're talking about elephants for example uh up to a herd ideally without disturbing them but elephants are very uh, you know curious intelligent creatures and they they'll come check you out if they know where you're where you are so one of the things for example we do when we're walking is make sure that we're down uh downwind yeah so they don't smell us because they've got 
amazing sense of smell. And the, the first thing they'll do is get that trunk up and just, oh, there's something over there? Let me go check it out. I mean, I'm the biggest animal out here in the bush. Let's check it out, right? And they, they kind of like that. And that's kind of the video that I showed you. It's those three elephants coming in and... Let's play that video. Oh, are you talking about the... Oh, oh shit. Uh, we're good. I got it. Yep. Yep. Play me that, those uh, videos. Let's, um... <laughs> So, so do you, do you want the ones where the one where that's close that what I was just talking about, or the yeah? So play just before the whole reason why this podcast started in the first place because you showed me a video of you getting charged by an elephant and okay, it so ramming the car. <laughs> it absolutely. So run me through this actual whole scenario. scenario. Okay, so. Where are they? There we are. Um, okay, let's... So, okay, so here we were at a walking safari. Uh, this is still when I was training. And this was actually... Um, so towards the end of um, your walking training, first, it's, it's a lot of hard work. That's one thing I should mention about being a guide is in... One thing I kept hearing and I keep saying to people who want to try it is you really get out of it what you put into it. Um, because it, it, I don't think I ever learned as much in my entire college and uh, postgraduate career in that I did in that one year uh, just doing the training. I mean, we're talking, you know, interpretation, tracking, Climate, navigation, uh, wilderness first aid. Oh, shooting. That's, that's me. Yeah, shooting. I'd never, uh, I'd shot maybe a handgun or, you know, a rifle. That was when I was living in the U.S. Some, some guy's dad was a gun nut or something like that. And, yeah, shooting, freaking, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, just the animals. You have to learn taxonomy and, you know, how everything's classified uh every kingdom so reptiles mammals uh birds birds are a huge factor in, in guiding because um especially when we're walking we listen for the, the oxpeckers the birds that come on the the large mam like the usually buffaloes mainly but they go and pick their ticks off yeah and uh it's actually for the walking test if you here in Oxpecker, you have to point it out to your instructor, and if you don't point it out, you fail. That's how that's how harsh it gets, and that's how. But it's how important it is. Did you hear one? Did uh, you have one on your tour? Like a dozen. Oh, and so, and so you point. Yeah, it yeah, out. and you always have to point it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, and um, fuck, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we're walking, and. Uh, yeah, so this is the first, the very first uh, walk that I got to guide myself. So I was leading, I'm not, the instructor's not leading us as students. I, you're, I'm leading, I'm choosing where to go and things like that. So types of tours that you do was like, what is it? So you're doing walk tours and what are the other ones in a jeep, are they? Yeah, the, the regular safari in a, in a in jeep. A, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you do walking tours, so that obviously that's more intense. You don't have the protection of a vehicle. Exactly. Yeah, with a vehicle you can always drive away most of the, in most of the cases. 
sometimes you get a little boxed in, which is that other video I showed you. <laughs> but mm. uh, yeah, when you're walking, it's a completely different animal, uh, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> that you just, uh, you know, you're, you're, the way I, the way I say it, the differentiate for people who ask is usually when you're in the car, you're still in a way viewing them the animals from a cage it's like a sh you know, it's a bit like a shark cage yeah. you, you've got metal bars around you you've got a bit of safety even if it's an open jeep you're still in a bit of a metal box that can move around when you're walking you're right there on the ground with the animals you know is it very important what what's the briefing that you give the people like oh, is, it, is, it, is it a lot of it about adrenaline like do not so, like show the adrenaline Oh God! Because you're walking through my guide of animals out in Africa. If any of my guide friends listen to this podcast, they're gonna chew me out if I get this wrong. There's a there's five main things that we uh, that we say for a, a walking briefing just before the walk. Uh, the first and most important is whatever you do, don't run. If you run, you're prey. If you prey, you're gone. I can't protect you, basically. <laughs> And well, not only that, but if you run, you also put the group in danger because you could have a reaction from an animal that was docile, seeing something running away from it, wanting to ch and then wanting to chase it. So whatever you do, don't run. Uh, walk in a single file. You want you don't want people you know next to each other chatting things like that, which brings us to the next step is walk in silence. So a lot of, uh, it depends on the guides, but a lot of us use hand signals. You know, we have the stop, the, the fist is the, the freeze, which is, you know, this is a little serious. We should, you know, <laughs> usually I tell the guests, if your finger's up your nose, it stays there <laughs> yeah. with a freeze, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, apart from that, it's, uh, oh God, this is where my guide friends. Do you stress how... Like serious these points are. Oh yeah, so I mean like these are like, these are serious tours. Like you're gonna go on a, this guided tour, this walking tour through the, the African bush with big five, so lions, elephants, buffalo, all the things that you know are potentially dangerous animals if if the situation's not read properly. That kind of thing. And you learn to read these animals and guide people and walk past them. Yeah, or just walk in their vicinity, you know, close to them. Mm. You know, ideally, yep. as a walking guide, we want to do an approach and and uh, leave the the scene without being seen from the animal, but still get the guest close enough that it's thrilling. I mean, I've been so from some some of the videos I've shown you are, are from uh, my training days, but I've sat literally with guests as we're sitting now in the African bush with a herd of elephants all around us completely chilled out and most of them, you know, barely 10, 20 meters away I mean, you could hear them breathing next yeah. to us and if you know, if you can read it, it you can, and you can make it a safe experience for your guests that's, that's the kind of thing they'll never forget and that's how you convert somebody just like that you know, even if they couldn't care less about elephants before then they yeah. can't not care about elephants after that, after living, you know, just standing right there with the whole herd around them. That's so amazing. You followed your passion and just went and, like, gave up a year like that just to, yeah, well, to was, learn this, you know? Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was lucky experience. to be in a situation where I 
I could afford to do so. And yeah, you know, you do have to. I did have to do some bit of sacrificing to to get there. Oh, of course, but every but, everything needs sacrifice. Yeah, if we want to gain anything, so. Do you so mind if I have a cigarette? No, go for it. So you, you give him this brief. Yeah, so, okay, so it's it's a full-on safety brief. Like, you know, yeah. it's it's uh, it's the moment in the, in the in the activity where you, I mean, yeah, some people entertain a little bit with it, like, trying to make it fun, but it's really the point where, the time where you hammer home, like, what we're about to do is not your everyday thing and and it could get you know a bit hairy so these are the way these are how you act in situations you're just to get people ready and so do you have people that are naive and don't take it that seriously and you really gotta absolutely i've had uh i've heard stories of uh of guides literally uh i mean in some cases like holding people by the collar so they don't run away or in others, well, in, in one extreme case, literally tackling a guest as he's about to run away. Like, just literally football tackling to the ground. Like, and you're just like, no. Because they were about to get charged by something. And if he ran, uh, I think in that case it was a hippo. And hippos don't stop. No. So if he ran, the hippo would have literally went, you know, full on bowling ball throughout the whole group and just gone through the whole of it. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, so this video, you've given these guys the brief. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, and now you're walking, you're walking through the bush in this video. Let's. Okay, so. Let's press in the first, out. well, let's go to the. Let's see, where is it? Okay, so the, this is the first little encounter. So we've got elephants in. Uh, in, uh, in the bushes in the back there. There's a full. There's a full, um, uh, a full herd uh, just walking past, and then one, this one bull uh, catches our scent and comes to check us out, and calls over his two younger brothers to check us out. So he's he's basically an elephant teenager, being curious, being a little rambunctious, and you know he saw something new and he's coming to check us out. But so we're sitting down waiting for him to just to see what he's doing and we could see his approach is pretty pretty chill pretty uh pretty calm we often look for um for the eyes you can uh oh my god he's getting close oh yeah he Holy got shit. he got up to three meters away from from Look, and, me and you guys um people can't see the video at home but you guys are just frozen still being very calm like your, your stature is just so <laughs> stiff and Shit. Oh my god, that's that is a massive elephant with massive tusks just meters from you and he's just walking around you, shaking and he's not he's not taking his eyes off you and you guys are just very calm. Yep, calm but alert and uh yeah, this is a a perfect example of whatever you do don't run. You know, we're just sitting down watching what's going on. I'm in a position What's your adrenaline like? Is it Oh, my heart is pumping i mean full-on is it more so as well because you have these people that you i'm responsible yeah Yeah. for the i'm responsible for the safety of of my guests absolutely so at the same time you also get the thrill of i'm 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 three meters away from an elephant you know 
it's a lot of things happening at once. A, a wild elephant. Oh yeah, massive tusks. Oh my god, look at his brother. And then he kind of yeah just squares off with his brothers, but it's all in the in the behavior. You can see the trunks are kind of relaxed, and the and heads are are not held high. And do they ever charge? Do they ever charge on you? So, that was at one point in that walk. And later on in that same walk, we met a full-on adult. So, these are teenagers. They're big. So, they're, they're but, placid. But, but they're, they're chill. They're easy to read. They're just... They're a guide's best friend when it comes to walking. The, the young males are usually the easiest ones to deal with. What we encountered after that was a bull, full adult, in must, which means he's basically smelled that there were females in that herd that were ready to mate, and he's, you know, he's just coming. Is there a video of that? There is. And we came in to meet him, and he... I think the video shows about two or three. Like, uh, total, he told he charged us a total of about four <gasps> times. He's charging. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! He's charging at you guys and kicking the sit. Oh my god! Yeah, so every time and so you guys are just good. walking and just. Oh my god! Yeah. So, and. and at, at that stage, it's like you think your instincts would just want to run. You've got this massive elephant. Ma- and massive. you pretty much and he's to, he's showing he's being aggressive. So like his yeah, body language the, is. You aggressive. see the difference in the difference in the body language, right? The held, head's held high. He's kind of showing us his side, showing us how big he is. And then the second he kind of doesn't like the look of us, right after he turns the corner. So do right, you get the comes. gun ready at stages like this, or like do no. you? No, 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 not at stages like that. That's that's absolutely manageable at that point. <gasps> but we are, we are dealing with the situation in the sense that we are walking towards a very big tree to get something between us that he can't knock over. <laughs> oh my god, tribe. he's charging me! And there you see like but he you see those charges he's basically trying to tell us get out of my way I need to get to these females oh my god <gasps> that must be so loud oh it's it's deafening and then every time we uh, he charged we got covered in dust as well but then yeah that's a perfect example of whatever you do don't run we kept walking. Every now and then when the charges got really intense, we stopped and kind of squared off with him. And uh, the lead guide, at that point I wasn't leading anymore. My instructor said, chose to, to take over, which I was very happy about. This, by the way, my instructor is a legendary guy for walking safari. He's called Alan McSmith. Uh, you'll have to check out it. He did a TED Talk a few years ago in Amsterdam, I think, TEDx, uh, which is absolutely incredible. And he talks about some of the the um the son bushman people and how they think about life yeah and and this is just one i'll just quick segue into this because go for it um this is a really interesting this is one of the reasons why i kind of you know you said i'm following my passion is one of the reasons i felt like that was an important thing to do is it's a it's an exercise you can even do at home if you're listening basically grab a handful of stones and lay them out in front of you. Grab about 10 stones. 
actually, grab about eight. Yeah. Say you live an average nice life to 80 years. Each stone represents 10 years. Take the stones away that you've already lived. And take the stones away at the back from when you're 70 to 80 because you're not really going to be that spry anymore at that point. You could probably take another one away as well from 70 to 60. <clears throat> and then that's the stones you've got left. And then you kind of look at that and you think, what are you going to do with those stones? Oh. It's a very to... it's a very powerful way of visualizing your life a little bit. <clears throat> and then he goes on to talk about another son Bushman philosophy which is the two hungers <clears throat> and there's the there's the little hunger which makes you want to eat and, and you know fill your stomach and there's the big hunger oh, I'm not going to do this justice you have to check out no no do it just, does, just, just you, basically you, you. the big hunger is ah uh, I, I almost want to pull up the text to, to read it because it's such a... It's almost... It's your ambition and, and the things that you want to achieve. And your little hunger, you know, if you can keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it, you'll be satisfied for a little bit. But that big hunger will still be lingering and be eating you up yeah. inside because you're not achieving what you want to to do with you with your life that kind of thing you know that's like happiness and materialism exactly you know learning how to actually be happy and then people just like you know masking that happiness by looking for distractions and that's true yeah let me um, quickly poke my head out real quick and see what these the aurora's doing here yeah is the sky still clear yeah, the the clouds have broken a little bit, um, but we don't have a big display. It's still that little line we got we had earlier there. Okay, cool, cool. So we've still got time to wait for the the aurora borealis to yeah. start flashing. Okay, so do, have you ever had animals actually charge and like get to a point where you've had to react or do something? So yeah, I've been I've been. I'd say unfortunate to be in that situation, um, but lucky enough that uh, I managed to get, we managed to get out of it without anybody getting injured, and on top of that, including the elephant being injured, um, and on top of that, the vehicle barely being broken. Just, it was just literally, literally a little wooden panel got broken, but I was in Mozambique in an incredible national park called uh, Gorongosa which is uh, one of the really successful uh, recovery stories in, in southern Africa for national parks. The whole park got decimated during the Civil War in the 50s. Or was it? Yeah, the, I think that was the 50s. Um, and basically 90% of all the big wildlife got killed from the park. I mean, that includes, you know, lions, elephants, antelopes, whatever either to feed the troops or to sell the fur, ivory for weapons and that kind of thing. And since then, uh, the park 
basically got taken under the wing of uh, uh, an American uh, guy called Greg Carr. And in the last, I think it's for the last 10, 20 years, I'm not sure how long, but they basically <clears throat> revitalized the park, made it really into a safe haven for a lot of these animals. Did they have to introduce animals? Uh, yes. The, very carefully, they are introducing them. Um, I think they reintroduced a pack of wild dogs, African wild dogs, recently, which is really, really cool because they're, um, I'm pretty sure they're critically endangered at this point. There's not a whole lot of them left. Yeah, right. And um, they've also, uh, I'm pretty sure, reintroduced a few zebra and, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I think there was an attempt to introduce cheetahs that didn't work out sadly but yeah i mean that that's it's reintroduction of animals is always a very very tricky thing because yeah it's it's always a balanced thing for the, the with the ecosystem yeah but yeah bas- and basically with prey and everything too what yeah so what, basically what can handle what the ecosystem can handle if exactly. you put too much prey animal in it's going to take decimate other and that's kind of what the park is living now it's kind of a predator paradise because it's there's well a prey paradise honestly uh, antelopes and whatnot because there's barely any predators there's a bunch of lions and now the wild dogs yeah which are offsetting that a little bit but um yeah i mean it's it basically it's just imagine uh, a big old floodplain i mean as far as you can see with a mountain big mountain at the end of it mount gorongosa and it's just filled with waterbuck, uh, impala, all sorts of antelopes. And then you get to see these massive herds, especially right around sunset. Big, big herds. I'm talking like two, three hundred elephants all walking across the floodplains. Oh, my God. Amazing. The thing is, these elephants, are, um, the ones that are there, there's no reintroduction of elephants. They bounced back in numbers, but they remember the Civil War where 90% of them got got killed. So their reaction to humans is not that friendly. I mean, if you think about it in terms of... Um, think of it maybe in terms of a diplomatic relationship between two countries. Yeah. The elephant country is not too happy about what happened. Yeah, so, you, know, yeah, you yeah. kind of have to... Like, they remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so it does happen a lot that... You, in that part, in well, that they're part intelligent. Of, they know. They know that. Well, they associate th- humans with violence. Yeah, exactly. So, and then that gets taught, obviously, as generations come down. You know, um, the way a mother reacts to uh, humans will imprint on on her little ones. They'll so, see that. So, is that just in this one area? Like in other in other parks, I'm you've sure, been in that the I'm elephants sure are a bit, a lot more human friendly. I'd say it's very variable as far... I'm sure there's other places where this also... I mean, honestly, if you ask any guide, they'll always say that like there's that one elephant in the park that's like, this one can give me trouble, you know? Skits one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this guy likes... He just likes to mess with people and charge them or whatever. Yeah. And... But honestly, for the most part, they're just super chill animals. But... So for these elephants, one of the things that was a bit big learning curve for me was to, you know, deal with charges and how to 
you know, de-escalate the situation so that the elephant calms down again. I mean, it, and most people have, I mean, people have different approaches, whether it's driving away or, or talking to them. I enjoy talking to the elephants. I think yeah. it works. I talk to the kangaroos at home. Yeah. On my and land, there's kangaroos everywhere, and I just talk to them. They just get to know you. Well, the thing is, you got to think, they're animals that vocalize as well. So, in a way, wouldn't it be weird not to talk to them? Like, Yeah. You know, even if an elephant trumpets at you, even though you don't understand what he's saying in elephant, whether it be, you know, fuck you or get out of my way or whatever, you understand the intention behind yeah, you that. Understand you understand know? if it's aggressive. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. when you talk to elephants, it's, it's similar when you talk to animals in general. Although, I wouldn't talk to most animals because... Yeah, elephants are interested in in yeah, some way to maybe not voice. a lion. <laughs> yeah, the, oh, the, lion. <laughs> some 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 animals can be a bit skittish about yeah. it. Well, you don't want to get their attention. Yeah, but okay. So you're saying you're in this park in Mozambique, right? Yeah. So, and you're in this park, and then you jumped into getting charged by an elephant, and so yeah, this was towards the end of my stay, and I was actually I actually had. Uh, yeah, a bunch of scientists from uh, from the U.S. In, in the car, and I got into the situation where uh, I knew that there was a breeding herd, so a herd of of mothers and calves mainly in the area, which are the ones that can give you trouble. But I also knew the all of these why, scientists. Why is that? Um, basically, the because the mothers get protective of the little ones. Yeah, and. Also, because those are the kind of herds that uh, poachers would have gone after. I mean, I'm talking full on with a minigun on a pickup truck and just mow everything down yeah. back in the day, you know. So they they see pretty much the same shape drive towards them when I'm in the Jeep with my guests. Yeah. You, know, you kind of think about that kind of like association. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so their first reaction is, you know, I don't want this near me or my kids, so I'm going to try to charge it and scare it away. And that, in most cases, that's what people do. If an elephant charges, your first reaction is to drive away. As the guides, were trying to, we were trying to um, basically try to teach them that, you know, it's all right for the car to be there and they don't need to freak out about it. Yeah. So in most cases, we tried not to drive away and just de-escalate the situation by other means. Yeah. And this was one of the situations, as far as I knew, I, f- I felt like I knew this, this herd, I, I knew which elephants to look out for, and it got to the point where they calmed down, everything's right, and I'm relaxing a little bit more, and then out of nowhere, the, one of the, you know, quote-unquote enforcers of the herd, you know, one of the, the muscle... They want to watch you out for... Uh, comes out from behind a bush and starts a charge that didn't stop. You're looking at the computer. Is that you, do you have a video of this? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, let me watch the video. Okay, but you'll hear me yelling at them here. So, okay, so this is the first, the beginning of the encounter is... You can hear a lot more vocalization as compared to the, the one before. And you'll get a... You'll hear the guests talking a little bit as well. <gasps> There's the first charge. So this is one of those enforcers I was talking about. 
kind of making sure that we're staying where we are as the the, the herd crosses the the road. And then they kind of hide in the these little bushes. Still trumpet at us for a little bit. Yeah, obviously they're unhappy. But this on, is and the, now they're on the other side of a bush, so you can't really see the. I can't see. Well, you can make out the majority of them, but then some of the herd is behind there, and I can hear them and all that, but yeah, can't see them. And then they kind of relax, you know, for a little bit, and they give us a few vocalizations still. You hear me talking to them. Got that. Beautiful animals. Yeah, and then, you see, this is, as far as I'm concerned, this is kind of <laughs> uh, just a bad imitation of an elephant rumble from me there. <laughs> just to see if I can calm them down. That was a bit of an experiment on my part. So at this stage, you know that they're being a little bit aggressive, really standoffish. Well, that one did just charge you, mm -hmm. but then now that they're over in this area, you still know that they're on edge. I know that they're on edge, and my goal is basically to create a, a safe viewing experience for my guests while de-escalating the situation and making sure that the elephants don't get uh, don't get stressed again. As you can see, like there's no more vocalization; they're a little more, more chilled. They've, you've got that one big one kind of checking us out, and then out of nowhere, <gasps> there's a big one. Yeah, out oh of my nowhere, God, there's, a big one. there's this girl. <laughs> Holy shit! It's running straight at you! It's running straight at you! Oh my God! Holy fuck! <laughs> Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's when she hit the car and oh. uh, rocked us around a little bit. <laughs> and oh my god, oh my fucking god! And uh, we got. Holy I have to say, we got shit. very lucky. Okay, let's just just explain what just happened there. All right, go ahead and, I, go I ahead and pause. That, I'm going to take that video off you. Just explain what just happened there. <laughs> um, what I was just screaming at. Yeah, so the okay. Well, we can do a little bit, a little bit of a play-by-play -play here. <laughs> so she comes out from behind this bush. So I, I didn't see her until so, she. So there's a herd, and they're in, in a group of trees, and then there's one big bush to the side, and so you guys have no vision past this one really big bush, and just from the side, suddenly comes from around the corner of this bush at it from from nowhere is just the big enforcer yeah and so, and so i'm gonna far, i'm gonna um put this on online this video oh okay i'm not gonna put this online no <laughs> it's so this is the kind of video that can give elephants a bad rap without context i feel like so i i usually try not to put that kind of stuff online because okay, i mean okay. yeah i agree it's it's super thrilling and all that but it it does um i feel like it paints elephants in a bad light this is a one isolated case, you know, in my 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 three three years of guiding so far. Um, but yeah, so basically, she's she just um, you know, it's a, this is a full on ambush. So she had actually planned this because she went. I had my eye on her, and she went around the bush, and you could see how as she gets around the bush, her eyes are already on us. Like she's not looking anywhere else. And she knows what she's she's doing. And so that's a massive sign for you guys when they're locked eyes with you guys? In that, yeah, right there. I mean, you'll see me react very quickly to her charge. And um, one thing I should say, um, for I, I was not in a position where I could drive away there because we actually still had some of the herd crossing in front of us. Um, we had 
basically a row of trees to our、mm. left. So you have to a car behind us. You have to be very quick reacting. Very yeah, yeah. So you have to analyze every situation so quick. So fuck, you have to be calm and collective. You've just seen. Okay, so what's the protocol here? You've just seen this elephant start charging at you. So the next thing I'll do, I know it's a charge. I'm gonna yell at it. Not full on yet, but make my intention known. It's basically the equivalent of what they were doing when they were. Excuse me. Um, what they were doing when they were、uh, trumping it at me earlier, just got、uh, just a quick hey, stop that, you know, and then she doesn't react to that whatsoever. By the way, how cute is this little guy running with her? <laughs> He just has a little、uh, baby elephant doing a little charge with her. I mean, I, the whole the whole herd comes and follows her, but she's the only one that follows through. So right at this mark here, roughly where the sand is, that's about ten meters away from the car, and that's kind of, I kind of have that mental circle around the car when I'm driving. Yeah. And、um, when something gets inside that zone is when I'm really, I、On、tend、edge. to either drive away or if I can't, try to get the animal to to leave if it's looking like it's hairy. Um, I should say, as a deterrent here, I have a, a pepper spray, which has that range, ten meters. So it's it's、uh, it's not one of those like bear sprays, which is more like a a shotgun. It's more like a, a stream, yeah,、uh, coming out.、Um, and I had, you know, prepare、uh, uh, mentally made a note of that. That's roughly where. Are you aiming for the eyes, or like, is it just the? So once she got close to that. You'll see, she comes straight on and then veers away. You see how she kind of goes towards the back a little bit. She kind of sidesteps. Yeah. So that's because I sprayed a line just at her feet there, and you, you got to remember this is pepper spray. So for us, it's gnarly. These guys have an insane sense of smell. So for the, her, it was even gnarlier. So usually, and in all cases, I'd had to do that before. The elephant had stopped dead in their tracks at that line, and it's like,、oh, okay, not messing with that. Yeah, she, for her, it it did diffuse the situation in the sense that she didn't hit the vehicle side on, full on, which could have tipped us over and resulted in some serious injuries.、Um, she kind of stopped her, slowed her charge, and aimed for the back. You, you can see, I just she just kind of goes sidestep, and. As soon as she make, makes contact with the vehicle, I'm aiming a constant stream until she's off the vehicle at her eyes and her trunk, nonstop. So just just to and I'm yelling at her as you heard in the video,、um, you know, pretty pretty aggressively. <laughs> and so she runs and she hits the car. And how does she hit the car? Is that with her trunk? Does she so, just give it a whack, or is she trying to push I, I, it? I should、a... say for those listening, this is、uh, this elephant is one of the tuskless elephants,、um, which is something that happens with elephants when,、uh, especially in areas where they're、uh, aggressively hunted for their tusks. The what will usually happen is that the the few generations after uh, that happens uh, will grow without tusks, although. Um, as you can see in the background here, some of the other ones are starting to grow tusks.、Uh, some of the new generation here, it's actually a recessive gene that they have, which kind of pops up, and、uh, and it's like some some weird. 
genetic self-defense mechanism they have against poaching in a way <laughs> right um but yeah so um she's tuskless and she hits the the back panel of of the car of the car's roll cage and there you can actually see the pepper spray in my hand here as um <laughs> i'm spraying her and yeah and sh she hits it with her forehead so elephants know that they have the most strength and the most probably the, the sturdiest thing is their their skull which is massive an elephant's brain is actually about only yay big it's a, it's a little bit bigger than than what we've got yeah but for the skull that they have it's basically like an armor plate around it yeah so what they'll what they'll usually do if they're trying to kill something is either trample it or push it into the ground with their head that kind of thing and so that's what she tries to do she hits the back panel and she rocks us a little bit because she wants to flip us over but because i'm making that experience as unpleasant for her as i can with the pepper spray and the yelling and all that uh she ends up backing off luckily and i say luckily because um i did some research on her we there wasn't there's a elephant database in gorongosa where there's records of individual elephants and and what kind of one kind of uh, in behavior they behavior exhibit. they have exactly yeah. every single sighting of hers, which is why I had my eye on her before, result has a charge in it, uh, a very aggressive charge. And about a week later, she found the pickup truck with one of the scientist uh, scientist team in it, and uh, one of the guys there also was kind of like with us didn't Snow. realize it I didn't realize it's snowing in the car <laughs> windows <laughs> closed the window snowing inside <laughs> yeah that's right we're in Iceland uh in Iceland talking about Africa look at that but yeah one of the guys that um the that was on the scientist team had been out with us guys a few times and kind of learned how to interact with them you know bang sometimes you bang on the car or yell at them or something like that just make sounds that are yeah. foreign to them or, or aggressive sounds, that kind of thing, and tried to scare away. But she, I mean, luckily, uh, none of the. Okay, you got to pick up uh, uh, just a regular pickup truck. Yeah. Three people in front, kind of like you know a bench like we've got here in in the van, and just a little cab, and that's it. And apparently, the first thing she did is rip the the roll bar from the front of the car, literally off with her trunk. I mean, then we're talking like steel bar. Yeah. And then I started brandishing it like a knife almost and then tossing it away. <laughs> oh, my and God. Then, and then she proceeded to try to flattening the cab with them in it while the the scientist, uh, the guy, was literally leaning out the window and, like, slapping her in the face. But I, And I saw the car afterwards. I'm honestly surprised that none of them had... They just had scratches. They were fine. But the car was completely so this badass elephant again. And it so, was her. And it was her again. Yeah, there was yeah. this one again. So what did the guests and the scientists that are with you, how did everyone react to this? Because oh. right now it seems like it's kind of like a little bit panic. Like, well, you're I mean, really, you've kept control and you're yelling and everything. But as soon as that charges, just the elephants, like quite like, everything just, what happens so, there? Yeah. So my first reaction obviously is turn around. Obviously, I've been focused on the elephant the entire time. Like, that's the mm -hmm. only thing I can pay attention to. This is once the elephant starts backing off. I wait to make sure that it's uh, not going to turn around because uh, one of the signs you can see is this 
the tail being up uh, can sometimes mean that you know they're still very excited and aggressive and then might just turn around and uh, you see like here when, where she turns her head a little mm. bit is where I was expecting a second charge um, but she ends up you know running back to the herd and, and, and getting out of the way and uh, yeah I mean obviously the guests were pretty shook um, they were all I, I, very good scientists and had been, you know, they, it wasn't their first time in Africa for the majority of them. And yeah, they were, they were pretty shook. So my first reaction, obviously, is turn around and now I can focus on my guests. Like, is everybody all right? Obviously, first question, is anybody hurt? And the response I get is, no, we're all all right, but we're missing one and we lost one. And that, I mean, that's where, you know, all sorts of scenarios are walking through my head. The last thing you want to hear is a god. Literally. And, uh, yeah, I look around and I notice that one of my guests is, like, freaking 40 meters away in the bush, kind of nonchalantly walking back, you know, shaking his head and going, oh, my God, that was intense. Yeah. And uh, I only found out afterwards from the other guests that, he had basically chosen the moment that the elephant made contact with the vehicle. Uh, he was seated on the opposite side of the bench. Like he wasn't even the person with the elf with an elephant in his fucking face. He was on the other side of the vehicle, and he used that push, the momentum of that, to do a freaking Superman jump out of the car and sprint. Literally, the worst thing you could do in that situation. Because had the elephant seen that. Without a doubt, she would have gone after him, and that would have been it. You cannot outrun an elephant. They run. They can run at 40 kilometers per hour. <laughs> so, obviously, I freak out and, uh, you know, just as calmly and, and politely as possible tell him to get back on the car, which I think amounted to, on the car, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, um... Yeah, luckily nobody got hurt. So what I did after that is we just chilled there for a little bit. Um, you know, it got to the point where one of the guests was like, oh, can, "Can we get out of here?" And I was like, "Yeah." In a moment, I just want to make sure that they move off and that they don't try to come at us again. And then it's just like, you know, and drove ten minutes, and uh, in the middle of the this is an evening safari. So with the safari, we usually have a sundowner, which includes you know drinks and and things like that. I just stopped the car right there. I was like, so who wants drinks? <laughs> All the hands just <laughs> shot up. <laughs> and then, but it was honestly a really special moment. Just after that, we saw uh, a lioness trying to hunt some uh, some guinea fowl. Let me see. I think I've got, the video's probably not as good. But I think, yeah, I think this is it. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the guinea fowl trying to run away. <laughs> So this was literally like not even half an hour afterwards. This is a David Attenborough docu documentary. <laughs> you can hear me guide guide away there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think for honestly for all everybody who was on that vehicle it was an unforgettable day. I mean, luckily we we got away safely, and 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 the elephant didn't get hurt. I should say that pepper spray is something that is. Uh, you know, very uncomfortable for a short period of time, but it's, it doesn't do any lasting damage to the elephant at yeah. all. Which, you know, had I been in that situation uh, you know, on a walking safari, I uh, probably wouldn't have the pepper spray with me. Uh, 
that might have been a situation where you you might have to shoot, which is the last thing you want to do. So yeah, especially when you're trying to protect the animals. I mean, when we were doing walking yeah. safaris in this park with these elephants, we would spot them from. I mean, first of all, we would avoid areas that where we can't see further than thirty meters away from ourselves, and then if we spotted a herd, we would stay at least a hundred meters away. So you always stand in the open. Yeah, uh, no, not in necessarily the in the open, but yeah, choose open areas, but also that have features like there's a lot of termite mounds and things like that. They can either climb on top to, you know, get a little bit of elevation to at least see what's around you, or to have something between, you know, a physical object between you and a possible threat or something like that. Yeah, dude, this is fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and the, the crazy <laughs> oh bit is God. that this is literally the guiding is for me is more of a means to an end because it's beautiful everything about it and these animals that you've <laughs> been showing me and and the passion that you have and for it it's it's also beautiful but at the same time like it's scary as fuck dude like you are yeah. in these <laughs> I'm like watching that video video of such a massive animal charge so aggressively at you to the point where it's actually rammed you guys i should um, i should say and in my kept- in my entire 3 years of guiding so far that is the only time that uh anything has happened whether it's in the vehicle or yeah or in the, on foot but yeah no, it's uh, but what was I saying? It's like the crazy thing is that for me, this is literally just a little a means to an end, just so I can spend more time for less money <laughs> in South Africa because yeah. I get room and board while I'm out there. Yeah. And then what I'll do is uh, usually the rotation is you get something along the lines of five weeks on and two, one to two weeks off, something like that. And I would use those two weeks to do my own safari and get photos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an amazing photographer, dude. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Speaking of photography, we're about to um, take a photo of the, the Northern Lights. Do as the Icelanders do. Do as the Icelanders do. So we're going to... I um, Yeah, I, I reckon we should go to... I'm sitting here. I got pole... Okay, so we're surfing today and you're taking photos. Oh, and your lower back got wrecked. My right? lower yeah. back. I got pole driven into the reef because we're surfing a really shallow reef barrel little slabby wave and I um <laughs> I got pole driven into the reef on my tailbone oh my not, god not only that we should say this is this it got so shallow that your nose hit a rock in the barrel yeah so I, the nose of your board yeah I, I pulled into this double up kind of inside one and I was like a, a bigger one and it had a big step as it as it hit the inside reef and there was a couple of rocks pointing up and i just kind of like in those situations you just i don't know i was just thinking just hold on and next thing kunk <laughs> just ran straight into a rock into the barrel and took the nose off my surfboard but um other than that it was an amazing day except right now I'm tr- i've just been sitting here for an hour and a half on and my lower back is so bruised i hear you so um Let's call it that. Let's go. Yeah, let's go take some photos of these. Just, I just stuck my head outside. I think it looks. Uh, it's not. Yeah, it's, it, we still got some display. 
for sure. And uh, it's not the, the big fireworks I was hoping for, but we still got, and we can still definitely get that shot. All right, cool, cool, cool. Climb up on the van and hey, hold the surfboard. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, it was the Icelandics, dude. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks so yeah, much for coming on and telling me these amazing stories. Like, <laughs> it's I, a pleasure. When you started telling me, I was just so interested. It's like, how often do you meet people that are guides in Africa? I can wrap up with one last story from uh, from my last stint in Africa from uh, about yeah, about six months ago. It's my very last day in Botswana. It's a short one. No, go for <laughs> it. Go for it. Uh, very last day in Botswana, and uh, our camp is on uh, a dry riverbed. So you got a like big dry riverbed, maybe uh, I'd say at least a hundred meters across, and. Uh, I'm the first one up, so I just go to the kitchen, make myself some coffee real quick. We didn't have any guests in camp, so it was just you know the guiding team and, and staff. And um, yeah, just walk down to the riverbed to see if there's any animals in there. And uh, I just get to the bank. There's a few bushes kind of hiding the view, and then you kind of see what's in the riverbed. As I get to that spot, I see halfway across the riverbed already a lioness kind of trotting in my direction. And I'd known that we had lions in the area recently, so I was like, okay, cool. Let's just see what she does. <laughs> Is that at this point, I'm literally just armed with a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Throw your coffee out of it. Yeah, well, yeah. I've, had, I've heard stories of stuff like that working. <laughs> yeah. Um, or more specifically, like a baseball hat, just knocking it on, on the head with a stick. Yeah, other crazy story, maybe yeah. for another time. But yeah, so... She's striding straight towards me, and then about yeah, like ten meters away, she just veers off and goes into the bushes just next to me, where there was a male lion that I didn't see, and they just start fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm li- this entire time, I'm literally just standing there, not moving, just with my cup of coffee, just going, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'm in Africa." Yeah. <laughs> TIA, this shit. is Africa. So yeah, they just mate and make a bunch of noise and then move out of camp. <laughs> oh my god. And by that time I had like the the two other guides were with me just we were both just standing there. And then as we walk away the the head guide of the camp kinda goes, So tell me the truth. Did you see the lion in the bush? <laughs> I was like, nah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, let's get uh let's get out there and uh Get that get some more photography. Let's do it. <laughs> Alright, dude, thank you yeah. so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, bye everybody. <laughs> bye bye. I do it like a double.